we are in this idea of having the most important things in our lives communicated well. Now, I have not had to deal with um, th- this moment where someone in my life moves on before I have the opportunity to share one of those important things. My parents are still alive. Uh, my, my siblings are still alive. And so I've been blessed. I haven't yet experienced that. But I imagine several of you in this room have. You've experienced that moment where someone you love, you only have moments left with them. Maybe you got the opportunity to share that important something. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it passed you by. But this is the way we set up this series. If you had just a few moments left with somebody that you loved, what would you share with them? What would you communicate to them? What would you tell them? Those are your most important things. And God has those most important things for us. There are things that we need to know from God that trump everything else. It's all important, but there are some that are more important than others. And so in week one, Trent had us look at this idea that the Bible is one of the most important things in our lives from God, his word of truth in our lives. And obedience to the word, obedience to God's word in the Bible is part of that. So that is one of the most important things for us. Last week, 316 of you went out and experienced another most important thing. You served people, maybe people you didn't even know, but you went out into our community and served our community. That's one of the most important things. And we're going to come back to that just a little bit later. And then today, we're looking at one more, and it's straight from the voice of God, straight from Jesus himself within the New Testament, which makes my life a little bit easier. I don't have to convince you it's important. We just have to talk about it, because if it comes from Jesus, got to be important. And what I love about what he gives us today is how simple and succinct it is. Jesus is amazing at tasting these really deep, intricate truths and just laying it out on the line because we overcomplicate all the time. Do you guys ever anything overcomplicate? I do it nonstop. I think about everything. I overanalyze everything. I figure out, okay, what are the eight things that can happen because of this? And let me figure out which way I want to go. And I figure out before it happens what I think might happen. If you follow me on social media at all, this last summer, um, you saw me attempt valiantly to replace a door handle on my car. It snapped off one night in a parking lot, and so I spent like two weeks climbing over in this little compact car, and with long legs, it doesn't work real well, to either open up the door or climb into my seat. And so I finally decided, look, I can fix this right? I've I've changed my oil. I've replaced brakes. I've done water pumps. I've done radiators. I can totally figure this out. So I watched a YouTube video. Makes me an expert. Went and bought the part for like 20 bucks. Can't beat that. And then spent the two most frustrating days of my life trying to replace this door handle. It should have been a two-hour job. And day two, my entire driver's side door is out in parts on my lawn. I've got the electronics over here, the inside of the door panel here. My window is out of the car, sitting in the grass, and I'm going, I can't get the stupid door handle off. The original one would not come off until I found the one little screw. (laughs) It's a tiny little screw. It took me forever to find it. I overcomplicated the entire thing. All I had to do was figure out the one little piece and I would have been good to go. We've been overcomplicating from day one. How many rules did we have in the Garden of Eden? Anybody? One, I heard it. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. Everything else in the garden, you can have it. You can have as much as you want, as little as you want. Whenever you want it, eat everything. Just don't touch it this. And what did we do? 
we overcomplicated this and we found a way to make it all right for us to eat the fruit. Sin enters the world, we leave paradise and we begin living some pretty terrible lives to the point that God decides, look, I'm gonna have to step into this to try and set things right again. And he steps down into our situation and gives Moses the 10 commandments because we can't figure out how to live with God and how to live with each other. And so he says, look, here's 10 rules, 10 simple rules. Don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. Love your parents, obey your parents. 10 simple rules. And what did we do? We overcomplicated. The religious leaders at that time said, well, nobody's gonna be able to figure out the 10. Let's add 603 to the list. So they took 613 laws and said, this is how you live for God in our world. Nobody's gonna mess that up. So that's where we find Jesus this morning in an overcomplicated mess and him simplifying everything. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. It's right at the beginning of the New Testament, one of the stories of Jesus, Matthew chapter 22. And as you're turning there, uh, let me just give you some real quick history on where we are in Jesus's story. So this is right at the end of his life here on earth. He's just got a little bit of time left. And what's going on is all the religious leaders are looking for ways to get rid of Jesus. They wanna kill him. He has upended their life. He is turning everybody around, everything that they teach and they say, and this is the way we do things. He's thrown it all out the window and they're not handling it that well. So they wanna get rid of Jesus. And so they've been finding ways to trip him up because here's the deal, they can't kill him yet. Everybody is behind Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody's supporting Jesus. They love what he's teaching, love what he's saying. So they say, okay, we've got to get him to say something wrong. If we can get him to, to say the wrong thing, to support the wrong thing, to make everybody else mad, then we can kill him and nobody will revolt. So they start asking him all of these questions. They come up with these deep questions to ask him. They ask him about taxes and government because that always goes well. And Jesus answers amazingly well and they have to move on. They ask him about the afterlife. What happens once we're all dead because nobody's sure of that. And he answers and they move right on. So that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 22, beginning verse 34. So when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, those are the other religious leaders, with his reply, they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in the law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? We've got him. There are 613. He can't pick one. If he picks one, somebody will be mad that he didn't pick another one. Or if he picks this one over here, then we're gonna be able to tell him, no, all of this is so much more important than this one. They have generation upon generation, a study of the law under their belts. He's 32 years old at this point. There's no way they can miss this. And then Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And he takes their overcomplicated view of what God wants them to do and just throws it all out the window and simplifies it and says, this is all you need. Everything boils down to these two things, love God and love people. 
That's it. And it's not like this is new information. They knew this stuff. When he gives them these two commandments, he's actually quoting from their law, their scripture to answer the question. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind comes to Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Love your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus 19, 18. So he took stuff they already knew and said, here it is. This is all you need to do. Love God and love people. And not only does he hand it back to him, he says, everything you know in your scriptures, everything about the law, everything from the prophets, it all hinges on these two things. Love God and love people. It's one of the most important things we get from Jesus. These two commandments, love God and love people. Now as with anything, simple does not equate to easy. So this morning, what I want to do in the time that we have is I want to unpack these two just a little bit. I want to look at each of the different pieces of these two commandments and figure out how do we make this happen? Because we all know simple isn't easy. So let's start with the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. We can only do those things if we know what they are. So we're gonna break down each of the categories. And what I love about this is that this being the first commandment, God is saying this. He says, the only way to have a relationship with me is to begin from the inside and then it changes outward. It starts with our hearts and then everything else begins to follow suit. So what is our heart? Our heart is our will, our desires, our passions, and our affections, the things we want, the things we need, what we're passionate about, what we love. That's our heart. And how do we love God with our hearts? It means surrendering those things to God. Saying, look, God, it's no longer about what I want. It's what you want. It's not about what I desire. It's not about what I'm passionate about. It's not about what I love. It's about what you desire, what you are passionate about, what you love. When we love God with our hearts, we surrender those things that we want to him. And we say, okay, God, I'm ready for you to begin changing me from in here. And I now want the stuff that you want. I wanna be passionate about the things that you are passionate about. When we have those desires, we ask God to give the, us his. That's loving God with all of our hearts. It's about surrendering our hearts to him. How about our souls? Our soul is what makes us different from everything else on earth. When God created man, he breathed his spirit into Adam. And that's what took us from being a mammal to a human, created in the image of of God because his spirit was breathed into Adam. That's our soul. Our soul is our emotions, our purpose, and our character. So how do we love God with those things? With our purpose, we wanna have a purpose driven by God. God, I want the point of my life to be driven by you. I want my purpose to be your purpose. Again, it's a surrendering. How about our emotions? This one's a little harder. The emotions tend to overwhelm us. They tend to drive us. They tend to make us do things and say things maybe we don't wanna do, maybe we do, but, but they tend to lead us along. 
And so loving God with our emotions is no longer allowing our emotions to lead us, but submitting them to God's truth in our lives and asking God to lead our emotions. Now, I want to make really clear here, this doesn't mean we don't experience or have emotions, because that's the easiest way to do it, right? Okay, I'm just not going to feel this anymore. I'm not going to experience this anymore. If I'm going to love God with it, it means I just, I don't feel anger or frustration or, or bitterness anymore. Those emotions still exist. It's whether or not we allow them to control our lives or whether we ask God to control our emotions. Does that make sense? That's loving God with our emotions. Purpose, emotions, and bother. What was the third one? Character. How do we love God with our character? We begin to pursue the character of God. And God's character is holiness, godliness, and purity. Three words we don't throw around a whole lot. This is a message all on its own that I'm not going to really get into this morning. But let me say this, to love God with our character means to pursue the character of God, holiness, godliness, and purity. And we go after those things with the very core of who we are, right? Our character is who we are deep inside. It's what people believe of us. When we love God with our character. We seek his character in our lives. So that's our soul. What about our mind? Our mind is our perceptions, our thoughts, and our attitudes, And again, I know I'm being repetitive, but this is the way it is. When we love God with our perceptions, our thoughts, and our attitudes, we are surrendering them to him. How do we do that on a regular basis? This is how I do it. Several times a day, and it actually went off in first service, which is unbelievably embarrassing. I have an alarm that goes off on my phone. And it just says thoughts in the text bubble that goes off um, with the alarm. And what it does is it reminds me that I need to stop and quote or read Philippians 4, verse 8 to myself. And four, Philippians 4, verse 8 says this, Now fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy, or excellent and worthy of praise. Obviously, I memorized it a long time ago in a different version. I'm sorry. Um, but what I do is three or four times a day, no matter my situation, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, who I'm talking to, if this alarm goes off, I stop. I say, okay, God, where I am right now in this moment, am I thinking something pure, right, lovely, admirable, excellent? And if I'm not, I need to make an adjustment. I need to change my mind. And what happens is this becomes a habit. And so that it happens just without the alarm. It happens on a regular basis. I hit a situation. I hit something that I'm not sure how to deal with. And I say, okay, God, where's my mind? Am I thinking the things you want me to think? Am I having the perceptions, the thoughts, and the attitudes you want me to have? Or am I thinking things that I want to think? We love God with our heart, our soul, and our minds. What happens is it changes who we are on the inside and it begins to affect everything else about us. Our speech, our attitudes, our actions, the way we interact with people, the way we respond to people. It changes us from the inside out when we first love God with our hearts, our souls, and our minds. 
Now, Jesus could have stopped right there and nobody would have argued with him. They all knew the greatest commandment. They all knew what came first from God. So he could have stopped, but he's Jesus. So he said, I'm gonna give you two for one. I'm gonna give you a freebie here. You love God and then you love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Why did he keep going? Why didn't he stop with the loving God? And I think the reason is the two are perfectly intertwined. They are inextricable from each other. You can't separate one from the other. Loving God includes loving people. You have to love both. You can't love God and not love others. And it is extremely difficult to love others if we don't love God. Loving God includes loving others and they come with each other. And let me tell me why I think this is so important where we are in life right now, in our society and in the world around us. We live in a world that is smaller than it's ever been before. It's more connected than it's ever been before. I have relationships with people on the other side of the world. I have relationships with people in Europe, all over the United States and South America. I have meaningful conversations, meaningful relationships with people I have never physically met in my life. And I'm able to do that because of the technology that we live with right now. I am more connected with the rest of the world than I have ever been. And our world constantly gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And here's what happens. We find ourselves rubbing elbows with or talking with or interacting with people who suddenly don't sound exactly like us. They don't look like us. They may not believe like us. They might not act like us. And what we do when we we come face to face with those things we find ourselves more lonely and separated than we have been in a very long time because we take these opinions and thoughts and ideas and beliefs, these ideologies, and we draw a line and we say, okay, this is the thing. Whatever it is, this is the thing. And then we build a bunker around that thing and we say, okay, I'm gonna sit in here and believe or think or have my opinion about this thing and everybody out there is wrong. And then we start surrounding ourselves, filling our bunker with people who think like us and act like us and believe like us. And we fill this bunker up and then we all throw these hate bombs at everybody else and say, I can't believe you think that. I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you have that opinion. I can't believe you support that person or that idea or that thing. And what we find is that these bunkers are filled not with people that we love, but with people who hate the same things and people that we hate. That's a tough truth to swallow, but that's what's happening constantly around us. And we are involved in that. We surround ourselves with the people who hate the things that we hate and the people that we hate. When Jesus gave this same commandment in Luke chapter 10. So another story of Jesus, another gospel, he gives this exact same commandment. He follows it up with a parable. And I don't have time to go really deep into it, but you can read Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm gonna give you just the nuts and bolts. He says, love your neighbor yourself. They question him, he says, okay, here's the deal. You've got this guy and he is beaten and robbed and left for dead, bleeding on the side of the road. Who's gonna help him? 
and a Samaritan walks by. And let me tell you about Samaritans and Jews. They don't do anything together. They don't talk, they don't interact, they don't see each other, they don't help each other because Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Jews saw Samaritans as unclean people to the point that they wouldn't walk through their town to get to the other side. They walked around. And when Jesus tells this parable, it's the Samaritan that helps the Jew. Not the other Jews who thought and looked like and sounded like the guy on the ground who helped him. It was the guy from outside the bunker who stopped and helped him. If we are going to love others, we have to begin breaking down these bunkers in our lives, whatever they are. It doesn't mean we have to agree with the people outside the bunkers. We don't have to believe like they do. We don't have to act like we do. We have to love them. If we are ever going to be for each other in the right way. And as I said at the beginning, it's simple, but not easy. The only way this happens is if we love God first, because we need God to love others. We need God to love others. We all have that difficult person or situation in our lives that we don't wanna be hearing this message about right now. We all have that person. Several years ago in a house that I lived in, um, we had neighbors that I really had a hard time loving over stupid stuff. They parked in my lawn and I got mad about it. I was like 24 and I was the old guy, get off my lawn. They just needed a place to park. Anyway, so they parked in my yard and I thought, I'll be the good neighbor. I go over and knock on the door. Hey guys, could you not park on my yard? Thanks, bye. That was my conversation. Super connecting. Not the proudest moment of my life. So they quit for like a week and then they start parking there again. So I thought, okay, fine then. I'll be this way. So I went and got those four foot reflectors on the, and I poke them into, uh-huh, it's Okay. So two days later, I go out, all the reflectors are gone. <laughs> what the heck? And I'm walking around the neighborhood with Carla and the reflectors are in other people's yards. They had taken them and put them all over the neighborhood. Now, I think it's hilarious. In the moment, I was so mad. <laughs> I never loved that neighbor well. Right? I never went and tried to make a connection. I never went and tried to, to create a relationship. I never tried to have a real conversation. Just created my bunker and decided to hate them. And let me tell you what this said about me, about my heart. It said something about my relationship with God. I can't get away from this thought. I've had it all week long. And it's a gut check. I don't say this in condemnation. I don't say this as an accusation. I say this as something that I constantly need to watch out for, but it's a gut check for us. How we love others reveals something about how we love God. How we love others reveals something about how we love God. So in those difficult relationships, in those moments when we don't want to love. In those situations where we are done, the first thing we should do and say, okay, God, what's that saying about me right now? What do I need to fix here that might make it easier to love this way? And Trent says this really well. The way he says this is that we have to 
work on our relationship with God while we work on our relationship with others. See, we can't grow closer to God if we're not growing closer to others. We will never go closer to others unless we are growing closer to God. And I think it boils down to this. If we love God most, we will love others best. Now, this works in any relationship. It doesn't have to be a bad one. It helps in a bad one. If you got somebody at work, you cannot stand. Love God most in that situation. And you will find some way to love that person best. With your spouse, you wanna love them best? Choose to love God most. With your kids, with your parents, you wanna love them best? Choose to love God most. The two work hand in hand. When we love God most, we will love others best. And what this comes down to, the importance of this, and the reason why I think that Jesus tied these two together is that when we love God most and then we choose to love others best, we are becoming a visible, rep visible representation of the love of God for the people around us. Right, when we go out and love others well, they see the love of God in us. They may not know what it is, but we are putting flesh to Jesus for them. So last week, if you went out and served on 3G Sunday, you were God to those people, the love of God. I should say that better. You were the love of God to those people. You showed them God's love for them. And we believe in this so deeply that it is a core value here at Epic. And we believe we need to make these opportunities available whenever possible. The opportunities to love others well. And we love others well by serving them. So we have 3G Sunday, we have 3G Saturday. We've got the giving tree coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got the international missions trips coming up where you can love someone who doesn't even live in this country and go love them well by serving them. Every single week, we offer an opportunity to serve people here at Epic. You've got some examples on a paper there in front of you. We wanna make sure that you have every opportunity to serve others and love others because working on this means we are working on this. When we work on loving others, we are automatically working on our relationship with God. Now, there's one last thing I want to do in the eight minutes I have left. There are two little words in this last commandment that Jesus gives that I think are extremely important and we need to pay attention to him. He says that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. And let me tell you why I think this is important. Um, we have done a really good job as a church, Christianity as a whole, on helping us figure out that it's Jesus first and others second. Now, some of you may not struggle with this, but if you're like me, some of you might. When we put Jesus first and others second, what we then tend to do is take ourselves and put us way, way down here. And the right and important message of Jesus first and others second and then ourselves becomes over-exaggerated to the point that we now begin to believe that loving ourselves is a bad thing. 
It is a wrong thing. And I don't know if you struggle with this, but I, I seriously struggle with this. Um, and so that's why it's here this morning. Um, for those of you who might, who might deal with it as well. And so we take that and we think, okay, any need that I have, any hope that I have, any passion that I might have, they are not all that important. It all goes down here because it's love God, love others, and, and it's down here. But here's the deal. Self-love was created by God. Loving ourselves is an okay thing. And I'm not talking about this selfish love where it's all about me. It's all about my stuff. It's all about bringing it all over here and everybody focus on, that's not the self-love I'm talking about. That's a selfish love. Self-love I'm defining is it's our longing for hope and joy, for security and love, for belonging and fulfillment and significance. None of that is wrong. None of that is evil. How we go about fulfilling it is the important piece. And Jesus assumes here that we will be loving ourselves in order to love others. So how do we love ourselves well? We love God first. So all of those longings that I have for love and joy and satisfaction and belonging and fulfillment, I take that to God. Say, God, these are my heart cries. I long for this. And he says, okay, I love you too. And I'm going to fulfill those things with my glory. We go to God with that stuff. And he fulfills our self-love. And then what Jesus says is you take that self-love and then you use that to measure how you love others. We make our self-seeking the measure of our self-giving. So if we are really creative in how we pursue our own happiness, there's nothing wrong with that. But we should be creative in the way that we pursue happiness for others. If we are passionate about security and well-being for ourselves and our family, nothing wrong with that but we should be passionate about security and well-being for others and finding a way to get that to them as well. Jesus doesn't say give up self-love. He says, use that as the measure for your self-giving. Now, if you're like me, there are some of you who are really struggling with this concept because it is hard to find ourselves worthy of love in our brokenness, in our mistakes, in our frustrations, and where we mess up over and over and over again, and it becomes difficult to see ourselves as worthy as love. But the very fact that we are created in the image of God makes us worthy of love. God says we are worthy of love. God says you are worthy of love. And God says, you are worthy of love. And God says, you are worthy of love. And you are worthy of love. And until we internalize that idea, it is very hard to love others. See, we can't give what we don't have. And so if I passed by you and you squirmed inside when I said that, then it's time 
to begin to accept that idea that you are worthy of love. We need to be able to give ourselves forgiveness and grace and mercy, genuine love, genuine kindness in order to give it to others. If we don't begin here, it's never gonna be there to pass on to anyone else. We start this by discovering who we are in Jesus and learning to love who we are in Jesus. And let me just give you a little insight into my day. Every day, twice a day, I've got this sheet of paper with two columns on it. And those two columns include biblical promises about who I am in Jesus, what God thinks about me because of Jesus. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. I am cherished by God. I am a prince in God's kingdom. I am forgiven by God. I am a co-heir with Jesus. This little list, and twice a day, I repeat this to myself, and I read this list to myself. And let me tell you, when I began it, I felt like an idiot because I knew these things in my head, right? I know that it's in there in the Bible. I didn't believe them about myself. But over time, as that voice kept repeating over and over, I am a child of God. I am forgiven by God. I am loved by God. It began to take root in my heart. And when we begin to see ourselves as God sees us, then we can begin to love others well. We need to love God. We need to learn to truly love ourselves so that we can genuinely begin to love others. So what did I say this morning that opened up a little can of worms in your life? Was it bunkers? Was it loving God with every piece of you? Was it finding a way to love yourself and believe that God loves you? Whatever it was today, don't shove it down. Don't hide it, don't push it away. This week, Take it to God. Go and sit and talk with God because here's the deal. God's not afraid of our concerns. He's not afraid of our questions. He's a whole lot bigger than any doubt we might possibly have. These are not bad things, but we need to go and talk to God with them because if we don't, then they'll fester inside of us and we'll begin to believe the lies instead of the truth that God has for us. So go to God this week and figure out for you, how do you love God, love yourself, and love others? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to unpack some of this stuff. And <laughs> two simple little sentences from Jesus, just layer upon layer upon layer of truth for our lives. And God, it, it's only 30-ish minutes here, so we're just barely scratching the surface. But God, I pray that you would plant a seed of truth in our hearts today. And whatever it is we need to do to take a next step, whatever area we need to begin to grow in, Father God, give us what we need to grow. Give us courage. Give us strength. Father God, give us humility that we would hear the truth you have for us and be willing to make a change. And God, as you change us, 
I pray that that would be a catalyst that changes our community, our county, our country, and our world. But it has to start right here with our hearts. So God, work on us. Thank you for loving us, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. We cannot wait to see you next week. So have an amazing week. We'll see you guys next Sunday.